Greetings, I'm John Duvall. Welcome back to another Truth Factor discussion. We'd like to thank you, thank you for taking your time to join us as we study through the Word of God, trying to factor the truth of God's Word into our life and hopefully your life as well. One of the reasons why we you know, kind of meet like this is for our own individual benefits as we study together with, with uh, one another. But we like to open it up to others who want to join us via the live stream. And hopefully, hopefully you'll find it beneficial. I know that we do for our own personal studies, and we're pleased and thankful that you've joined us this morning. If you are, if you've joined us through our Facebook page, the live stream there, then you can drop comments on this live stream and we will be brought into our study. Bring in your thoughts, your questions, maybe comments that you have over what we're talking about. If you're watching this on our YouTube live stream, then use the chat area there on our YouTube channel and um, we'll bring in your thoughts and questions and comments that way too. Also, let me bring this up. If you wanted to contact us, there we go. You can contact us individually there at the email address that's seen on the screen, first name at truthfactor.com. Uh, Tom is a little bit different because he's a serial simple T-O-M. Um, but you can also write us at questions at truthfactorlive.com. Do that as well. All right, so let me get back to the full gallery mode. What do I got to do? Remove pin. Got to find a shortcut for that, make it a little bit quicker. Let's see, we have Michael Davis with us. Um, Gregor is with us. Uh, Danielle and Truth and Reason and others. Want to thank you so much for joining us. And um, if you're watching us and you don't want to be known who you are, don't want us to know, that's fine too. But if you want to say hi, just drop the word hi and we'll see who you are, where you live, phone number, social security number, all that other stuff will come our way. Not really, not really. All righty, gentlemen. So we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 12 this morning. And in the first section of this, I would guess down to verse eight, it kind of basically what Solomon is saying, kind of put it in a nutshell, it's difficult getting old. And you got to realize that when you're young, that one day you're going to get old. And once you get old, you can't get young again. And so there's some wisdom there behind that. So let's go ahead and read it. And Brenda, let's break this up just a little bit. Go ahead and read for us, if you would, the first four verses, and then we will go forward from there. Sure. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 4 from the Legacy Standard Version of the Bible. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days happen and the years draw near in which you will say, I have no delight in them, before the sun and the light the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. And the day that the watchmen of the house tremble, and valiant men bend down, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few, and those who look through the windows grow dark. And the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the girding mill is low. Sorry, grinding mill is low. And the one will rise at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. Okay. All right. Let's take, um, well, let's, let's go ahead and read the rest of it, Brian, if you would, five through eight now. Also, they are afraid of height and of terrors in the way when the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden and desire fails. For man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. All right. Okay. So with that being the case, then let's see. Brian, or not Brian, Brandon, you read from the Legacy Standard version, didn't you? Yep. Okay. That's what I thought. So looking at this, notice with us there in verse number four, or not four, verse number one. As we give consideration to this, let me get back to Huh, interesting. Go to that. So the the, the writer here encourages, admin, ad, uh, admonishes the reader, maybe his sons, maybe the, the younger people within his family. If, you know, if we were to think about Solomon maybe writing it for his sons, not really sure about that. 
What is the significance, Brendan, of his phrase, remember now your creator in the days of your youth? What's he building up to, do you think, as the main point within his admonition here? Well, <clears throat> we're, we're rapidly approaching the, the summation of the book at the end, end of this chapter of the fear God and keep his commandments. And but going back to your question in verse one, um, you know, a lot of people think they'll have time later. Mm-hmm. I'll have time later to build a stronger marriage. I'll have time later to get serious about my career. I'll have time later to do X, Y, Z thing. And it used to be, well, I'll have time later to serve God. Problem is, well, a couple of them, you may not have time later. That's just the reality of it. Secondly, um, life has a certain momentum built into it, kind of like a snowball going down a hill. And later, your heart may be so hardened that you have no desire whatsoever to serve God. Uh, you may not care to develop a career or strengthen a marriage later because in your youth that's the time to build those lifelong habits and set your house in order as it were um it's a lot harder to change when you got say 40 50 60 years of momentum working against you however a lot easier to maintain on a good path if you have those same 40 50 60 years of momentum working with you so when is the time to get your life right with God? When is the time to start serving him? When is the time to get your house in order? It's when you're young. And I just saw a headline the other day that um, some psychologists are rightfully getting concerned that adolescence and childhood is the time we're spending in that is growing longer and longer now. That we're not taking on the responsibility of living and being functional adults and participating in society. Um, whereas our ancestors, this whole idea of, a, of childhood, it's relatively new. Um, you know, taking secular Judaism, you know, for vast majority of their history, once you a boy turned 13, they were considered a man, which means they were given responsibility. They were expected to be functioning members of society. Um you know, not going to be CEO, but okay, you're old enough to participate in synagogue. You're old enough to start working. You're old enough to have responsibility. Um, and really, I make an application today that you know, shows called Truth Factor. I wonder if sometimes we do this in the church with our young people, that we really don't give them enough thought or responsibility because we're like, well, they're still in their teens. They don't know any better. They're not capable. They don't have wisdom. Um, okay, there might be some truth to that, maybe. But also, you can't really develop wisdom or responsibility unless you're given the opportunity to do that. Um, you know, you know, for our young people, if they're baptized, if they are Christians, why not give them responsibility? Why not hold them accountable? Why not have them be participants in the community? <laughs> Um, so that, you know, down the road, uh, we're not use, losing our young people because, well, I'm not being a value. They don't they don't think I can do anything. So I may as well just drop out or go someplace else. So uh, probably a long answer to a short question, but those are my thoughts. Well, I think it's a very good point. Um, whenever. OK. When, when you hear, well, I guess in Brendan's case, it'd be his grandparents talking. But when you hear about generations past, you would hear about people taking on more responsibilities when they were in their, their, their teenage years. Um, and we think, well, we've got it so much better. They can stay a kid longer, but that's a valid point. They're not learning to be responsible and the level of responsibilities as they should be. And so they come in at kind of late and stunted and we kind of see the, the lack, the, um, what's, I can't think of the term I'm looking for. What do they call it when the development is hindered? Oh, you're to thrive? Stunted. Their development is stunted. Um, when we were, we planted our garden and we, Ron had planted some beans and stuff. And we went out there and we looked at a bean that, that was breaking through the ground and everything. And um, something I really had, had not heard, she says, um, they say you're not supposed to help that bean out. I said, what do you mean? So if we would want to reach down and move the dirt away, 
They say they, they, it's the, the bean will be stronger if it pushes through the dirt itself and comes out than if you reach down and make it easy for it. Now, I would think that's, that's kind of silly, but actually that's life's lesson. And our youth should be spent learning about serving the Lord and being as zealous as possible. You know, not just, you know, in your, in your teens, but in your twenties and your thirties, because at some point it's going to be so much harder to be active the way that you would like. Well, and, and to that point, not jumping in or anything, but the next couple of verses I think are just poetic ways of referring to old age. I mean, he, he says, yeah. um, before the evil days come where the sound of a bird will wake you up. Um, you know, that's, that's my dad, the old house we used to live in. He'd have nearly blackout curtains in his bedroom and we had this yeah. little, little cottage. If somebody went out there and turned the light on and they front turn off that little light would hit right at the crack of the curtain and come right in and wake him up. Um, you just get to that age where every little thing in the, in the night affects you. And I think it speaks to the whole momentum thing. Yeah. Um, you know, serve God now, build that foundation. So when you're old, you can still be serving him. Yeah. You know, I, I read an Asian proverb the other day that in your youth serve by actions, um, in your middle age, serve by words. And then after your uh, old age, teach by words. And when you're long gone, teach by virtue because you lived a virtuous life. Um, and I think there's some truth in that. When you're young, Paul told Timothy, be an example. Elders are commanded to teach. And then those who have passed on, the Hebrew writer says they form the great cloud of witnesses that surround us. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I want to be living a life that... When I'm gone, I can still be teaching. I can be like Abel, you know, as, as the Hebrew writer points out. Um, you know, now's the time. I, I think the elders where I grew up at, because at 17, they said, here's the new converts class material. You're going to go teach it. Um, and I wasn't told how to teach. Uh, an elder sat in the class with me, but I had the freedom to explore that and figure out how to teach. And I can guarantee those classes weren't the most in-depth. But it set me on a trajectory where the expectation was, you're old enough, you're a Christian, have the responsibility. Um, because like that bean illustration, we're not doing anyone any favors if we spoon feed them. It's like a kid learning how to walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and 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 Brendan, you you know, you you took this discussion in the direction of from the standpoint of uh um uh you know, learning while you're young and so on and that's definitely the point. Uh but you mentioned there toward the end the idea of uh the physical aspect of it. And I very much think that that's what he's dealing with through verse 8. I I think he's actually getting into descriptions of how the body wears out, uh, um, maybe even describing, maybe even describing death itself in, in verses six and seven and so on. But you know, uh, another thought that goes along with this, you know, it, you remember God now because when you get older, there's going to be more obstacles. Uh, not only, not only physical, uh, not only from your physical body. But just from the decisions that you've made, you know, uh, you know, uh, think of uh, financial decisions. Uh, think of health decisions. And of course, you've got the spiritual aspects yourself. Uh, but the point is, is life's not going to get easier as, as you get older. As you get older, you know, the New King James uses the word difficult. Uh, your, your version used the word evil. Um, and it's the idea of the when you say the evilness of life, the things that are the things that are frustrating and bad in life. And um, that's going to happen. You know, you know, I, I remember I remember when I was young, I used to sit there and think to myself, you know what, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to eat whatever I want, yada, yada, yada. Uh, uh, you know, so what if it couple cuts a couple of years off my life on the end? You know, of course, you know, you're only in, you're in your teens or your early 20s. And, and, and oh, you know, what? what's the difference between living 71 years and living 73 years or something like that? 
But I'm going to tell you right now, that is that is a regretted statement uh, because uh, it's not just about cutting a couple of years off your life. It's about the 20 or 30 years leading up to that where the quality of your life is less because you didn't take care of yourself when you were younger. You know, whether you're dealing with, you know, the the finances. And, and I think that that's a relevant aspect today. You know, um, you know, try to learn while you're young, you know, you know, try, try to learn to manage your life and live within your means while you're young and don't don't accumulate the debt. That's going mm-hmm. to literally be a it's it, it's going to be a it's going to be a taskmaster, you know, when you get older and and, and uh, not not just a taskmaster. It's going to be a burden from the standpoint of when you realize, you know, I'm getting older and older. I'm not going to be able to keep going and I'm not ready. You know, you know I'm, I, I, I'm not ready to have to stop. Uh, I'm not going to be able to retire or you go with those kinds of things. So you, you've got the fit those physical aspect, but just everything wears down and your body does your body. It, I want to say it quits working, but that's not true. It, it just works less well than it used to. Reminds me of those videos where you see someone driving a car down the highway and one of the wheels falls off or goes flat and then he keeps going and finally another one goes out. That's how we get older. Exactly. Good point, Tom. Yeah, yeah. So let's go ahead and take a minute and bring up some comments here real quick. Uh, The first one, I think we're going to start with Mr. Mike. There we go. So Mike says, having reached the three score year and 10 mark, I rejoice in that, quote, I remember my creator in the days of my youth. Now I can appreciate those years having now a stronger foundation on which to stand in my old age. The physical is much harder, as Solomon shows, but the spiritual is secured in the mind, soul, heart, that helps me press onward to the fulfillment of Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, any thoughts about that before we move on to um, the next two comments? All right, Brian, do you have a truth and reason handy? I do. I see the comment about his 15-year-old grandson, correct? Um. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, my 15-year-old grandson told me yesterday he was looking forward to getting a job. I was so proud. So um, I've got that. Okay. And let me get rid of my big old face here. There we go. And then after that, I see Gregor Hinckley uh, yeah. says it's, uh, saying it's my story, too. As a young person at about 25, uh, uh, I, I'd be a prodigal son. I looked for work in the church and kept getting shunned. I did it wrong. I also had no guidance. Gratefully, I came home. That's a good point. Yeah. I think far too often, if we're not careful, we get ourselves into a situation where we become discouragements to the youth and not encouragements. But then th- there's the other side of the coin, and this is where we have to be careful because I, I, I am this way. You're worried. You know, will they be reliable enough to fulfill the task? Well, I can just do it myself, and it'll be done right. You know, and many times it's the sheer effort that you let them do when they're young, even if they mess up. And, and you know, people are going to be back there maybe judging them a little bit. Others will be praising them a little bit. But you have to let them push through it and learn how to do it. And um, you think, yeah. John, sometimes we struggle in the church with an attitude that says, you know, that the assembly, the the teaching, the preaching has to be perfect, and therefore we don't allow people to to step in that don't have the developed skills to do it. Um, you know, I, I you know I've heard sometimes somebody says, well, yeah, let's put our best song leaders out front, you know. Uh, which, of course, you know, makes for a more dynamic uh, time of worship, but it also fails to bring in those people that need to need to prepare those skills and get those skills going. Or, you know, we we're, well, you know, I, I don't want this guy to come in and preach because sometimes he says things that aren't quite accurate. Well, um, you know, and I've, I've always kind of said, well, that's to be expected when you're learning what's truth and you're trying to do these things. You're going to get up and you're going to say some foolish things time to time. Yeah. 
Um, and so there's a balance between you're trying to have that, you know, uh, you know, first Corinthians 14, doing everything decently and in order, but at the same time, trying to propel people to grow into roles because, because the preacher's not always going to be there. You know, those, those old men, diligent old men are going to die and you need new men to take their place. And they're not going to learn how to do that without some opportunity. Well, yeah. Paul, he does clarify his statement from, you know, first Corinthians 14, let things be done decently in order or first Corinthians 14. That's 14. right. I'm sorry. I'm looking at second Corinthians. I thought there's not 14 chapters. Where'd I go wrong? Sorry. 14, so his 14, statement in first Corinthians, is the passage. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, he explains that in chapter 17 of first Corinthians. By saying that in your worship, you've got to put forth your best song leader and the best prayer leader and the best preacher and the best teachers. So for chapter 17, look at it, 1 Corinthians 17. That's the passage that says our worship service has to be perfect externally. Right? I, I believe I that's the one that saying. mentions, yeah, that mentions me by name, I think, in that chapter. Yeah. And preachers <laughs> have to wear suits. That's right. That's suits right. Wear your best to church. That's what it says there in chapter 17. Yeah, you We're know, jesting, uh, of course, but yeah, right. Uh, and you know, when you actually think about that from that standpoint, if if you've got a congregation that has that attitude, and like I said, I, I don't agree with that attitude. But here's the other question: What resources are you providing to develop those young ones? And yeah. yeah. in other words, I mean, you've got the idea of what about the uh, what about if you at least have training classes? Yeah. You know, do you, do you well, have and, training classes to teach them to lead singing and to get up and give a small talk, uh, to lead a prayer and, and understand what the difference between a prayer for the Lord's Supper and an opening prayer and a closing prayer are? You know, uh, do we take the time to train them? And and incidentally, the answer then, it's still it's a it's a uh, it's still a two pronged process. I mean, after you train them, you still got to put them in there and they've got to get that hands-on experience and that's still a part of the learning process so. and the other side of this that's a double-edged sword mm -hmm. is you can provide the training you can provide the input the guidance all that stuff to set people up for success and this is going to be a brendan opinion here so um but individuals who do not show the desire to take advantage of that and yet still expect the privilege, and it is a privilege, to serve, uh, there's a disconnect there. There there really is. Um, <clears throat> you know, we, you know, I, I've seen I've seen some members who they they've admit, I cannot carry a tune. I am tone deaf. But they're there for song leader training because this is important. You know, I, I want to at least know how to do it or something, even though I don't think I have the skill set. That there's there's a heart it component to all this. And there's some young people who take advantage of every opportunity and want to serve, and they're not given the opportunities. And that that's a shame. That really is a shame. Um, then there's the flip side of that, where we have, you, you might have older Christians who think it's their right that they get to serve. And no, it's not. It, it, to serve God is a privilege. It, it's a privilege that you earn by your good conduct and your desire to want to serve the Lord. Um, you know, congregation and the Lord doesn't owe anyone anything. Um, but we're getting out of the weeds here, but back to the original thing is if you are a young person, express your desire to serve if you want to serve. And as a congregation or leadership, we should be willing to, we need to be embracing that kind of attitude and provide the skills, the opportunities and the tool set and the training to make sure that we're setting people up for success. Yeah. Because giving people the opportunity to preach or to teach or to song lead and they do something wrong and we never tell them or instruct them or help them improve, that's on us and we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah, the I agree with that. Um, there's a lot more we can say. I, I do want to clarify something. Okay, what I was kind of poking at with what Brian was saying is there is there is a mentality where we do put, in my opinion, more emphasis on the appearance of things within worship, where it matters how good the song leader is. It matters how good the Bible class teacher is. And um, 
those the, the, those are not of any biblical consideration. Now, individually, there's a reasonable argument to say that when we come together to worship the Lord, we should bring our best attitude, our best spirit. Does it mean we have to wear our best clothing? Um, that's very culturally, okay? I don't know if Paul had a special outfit he wore on the first day of the week when they assembled together. I figure he probably washed his clothes. I mean, they did that once in, what, two weeks or so. They'd wash clothes or something. Um, but we lose focus on what's most important sometimes if we're not careful. On the comments about the training thing, I'm going to say amen, absolutely. Sadly, that's not been my strong suit, and it's something that I really need to address within myself about having classes to get the young men prepared, you know. Um, I'm going to sit here and say amen comments. and make it think that I've done great yeah. things on that because I haven't, you know. Yeah, John, you got some comments that... Oh, yeah, let's continue um, with that. We talked about uh, Gregor's uh, story arc. Let's jump to Michael's real quick, and then we'll bring in... Danielle's. Let's see. Um, bring this up. So Michael says, Titus 2 commands, the elderly ones teach the younger ones. If that is not done, then the church suffers because the younger ones are not taught. It isn't the public perfection we seek, but spiritual perfection. It's called growth. Excellent point. Very wise point with that. Um, Tom, do you want to read Danielle's comments? Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, Danell made the comment, uh, a very good comment, Tom. Uh, do we need to go on? No, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> very good comment, Tom. Uh, um, we had men's training class through the years, and there isn't a man in our congregation that won't get up and fill in to teach or preach when there is a need. And, and, and that's the truth. And one thing about where Danell attends uh, her her father is um, Galen Evans, and and uh, he he's still preaching there. Uh, it's a, it's like us. It's a small congregation, and and you and you depend on everyone to be able to step up and and be able to step in. I I know that her dad has had some very very serious health issues that that result injuries that resulted in him for months not being able to go to services and so on. He had operations and everything. And the congregation there, obviously, they, they didn't miss a beat, you know, you know, as far as having individuals that were ready to step in and present lessons and do everything that needed to be done. And and, and we need to do that training. And, and that goes along with the point that Mike is, is making there and the, the observation we've made. Um, what are we setting up for the next generation? You know, we, we express our concerns about the direction that the next generation is going. And, and, and I, I have serious concerns um, in, in many ways. But at the same time, what have we done to help them so that that won't happen? Yeah. Um, Paul, let me throw this at you just for a moment. Yes, sir. So there in verse number six, let me bring this back up for everybody. So he begins by saying, remember your creator before the silver cord is loose. So if you'll notice that's in italics, remember your creator. What is this? What is this a continuation of in verse six? Just to kind of help us to, to pull the conclusion to the section. Well, uh, you connect, I mean, just to be real obvious about it, you connect two words, remember and before, you know, mm -hmm. and so uh, don't wait until it's too late uh, because there is a time that it's too late. I, I'd kind of been thinking, I was thoughtfully listening, but I was kind of thinking uh, about this. And I think that the idea is to be able to face your old age without a regret of the things that you can't do uh, because there probably will come days in which you are physically limited and you say, oh, I want to go out and do this for the Lord. And yeah. you're probably, if, if you're if you're blessed to live a lot of years, you're probably going to reach a point that you want to, but you're just not physically able to. And so live your life without regrets. And before the civil court is snapped, I think Brian mentioned earlier, the golden bowl is broken, or maybe that was, maybe that was Tom. Uh, and uh, mentioning there, maybe there's a picture of, uh, of death or near death, uh, what life is like when things are really critical. 
Uh, you notice I, I dropped offline a moment ago. Uh, the reason is, is because I got a call. Uh, we had a member pass away yesterday and his wife was calling about the funeral. And uh, he was a hard worker for a lot of years. But as he got older, and especially in these past couple of months, you know, there was not much that he could do. Um, you know, he was uh, physically incapacitated. And so I, I like the idea of being able to say, well, no, I, I, maybe I, there are lots of things I can do. We shouldn't live in self-pity and, and uh, think that there's nothing we can do. I appreciate what Brendan said about that, uh, about, you know, there is purpose in life for the uh, elderly and, uh, and, and many things that they can do. We say, well, but I can't do that anymore. But I can live my life knowing that, well, when I was in those younger years, I did uh, I did those things. And so that's just kind of kind of my thoughts on this section. Paul, let me ask you this real quick. Do you think sometimes that maybe we set the bar unintentionally too high in public service that it becomes a discouragement to others? You know, I, I actually had said something about that, uh, and I appreciate you finding it worthy. To, it yeah, finding it worthy to bring up. Um, when congregations are intolerant of the weak, and by that I don't mean uh, they're not helping them grow or they just, they just put up with it. I, I don't mean that. But when we uh, look at those who maybe can't serve as well publicly, or they're going to struggle if they make a comment or, you know, and we beat them down. Well, then you end up with a congregation of really strong people. All five of them are really strong. Uh, but all those people that were weak through the years have been driven away. And I do think that we sometimes uh, set our spiritual bars so high uh, that uh, while we don't believe in survival of the fittest, like Darwin said, spiritually, we treat people that way. And we need to instead nurture growth and be patient and loving and kind uh, with those who, who are weak and maybe those who don't grow real fast. Um, you know, I'm, I'm you, so, you know, we have a new yard and I'm trying to grow a few things and I'm out there looking every day. Uh, have the flowers come up yet? The seeds that I planted, are they up yet? And I'm impatient. I want them to grow right away. But with a, a young soul, or an immature soul, maybe not physically young, we need to be patient and nurturing. And uh, if, if we say, well, you ought to know better than that, or you shouldn't have said that, or, uh, you know, you need to just quit serving until you can do better than that, uh, they're going to go away. We're not going to get them back. And we're going to have uh, maybe a congregation of really strong people but I think the picture of a growing, uh, healthy congregation is that you have a strong core, but you also have people who are weak, who are in the process of growing. And you may even have some who are in their spiritual infancy, and they are, uh, they are growing and maturing and, and all of that. So I've kind of rambled on, and I'll, I'll well, let you. There was a case years ago of a young man who, um, it was singing night from what I understand, and was trying to have the congregation sing Hallelujah. Okay. And Hallelujah has the desk cant that the sopranos sing. All right. So he was in the process of trying to explain to the congregation because it was kind of newer. I mean, it's in the book, but they hadn't really sung it much from what I understand. And he's trying to explain it. This was a teenager now, late teens. And one of the elders kind of roughly spoke up saying, just sing it as it's written. And kind of embarrassed the fella. Um, now, there may have been other things to affect him through the years and you know, his faithfulness waned after that, but that could have been the launching point, an intolerance in that situation to what he was trying to do. wasn't wrong, wasn't unscriptural, you know, but it, it was new. And um, sometimes we don't think before we do something like, as you were describing there, Paul. So I think we need to be um, very, very patient uh, of... Yeah of uh, the young spiritually. And that might be a person who's converted when they're 60 or 70 and, and they're still young spiritually. Be very patient with the young spiritually. There are some things we are not to be patient 
with mm-hmm. uh, rejected divisive man after a first and second admonition. You know, these kind of nasty negative attitudes that poison a congregation. They are to be dealt with. Um, if I can use the word harshly and, and immediately, uh, but uh, but with someone who's just growing and doing doing good things and and trying to do things they've not done in the past, uh, we see a, a real value there. But again, yeah. I, I have, after being quiet for a long time, and I said uh, uh, listening, uh, I'll go back to listening. Well, and to illustrate your point, Paul, I knew of a man that um, he had served as an elder. Um, at one point, and younger man, spiritually, it was his first time leading public prayer, and he was pretty nervous because it's Sunday morning. So without telling anyone else, without making a big scene of it, this older man just walks up with him to the front of the auditorium and just says, my hand will be on your shoulder, you say the prayer, and if you can't finish it, you get too nervous, you just tap my leg and I'll take over. Didn't offer any explanation, didn't offer, didn't make a scene of it, he says, I'm here and I can take over. And the man didn't need him to take over and he was fine after that. But, you know, the first time you get up in a, in a congregation, it is intimidating because people's number one fear in this country, they fear more than death. And that is public speaking. Um, And so it's, it's a challenge and we need to be patient and we need to be encouraging and we need to offer that encouragement. I've often said, don't just think to yourself, oh, that was a good prayer. He gave a good effort. Tell the person. Tell the person. Be be specific. Don't just say, oh, that was a good prayer. I mean, you can say it, but it's like, I really like how you uh, address God in that. Or I like how you petition God for brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. You know, be specific with your encouragement. Good point. Good point. Okay, let's go ahead and come back into this real quick on verses 6 and 7. Um, where he talks about, remember, so verse one, he begins the whole section, remember your creator. Um, and so he's kind of now, let's, let's, the way the translators have brought this back in, they brought that reminder statement there. Remember your creator before death, basically. Um, Tom, you had a quick thought about that, didn't you? Yeah, well, yeah, uh, verses two through five describe the body wearing down. But I remember hearing one time somebody describe, and I've put this in a sermon, verse six seems to describe the process of death. You know, he he mentions the four things that remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed. Uh, think of it from the standpoint of the spinal cord. You know, when one dies, the spinal cord relaxes. And as a result of that, uh, as a result of that, the rest of the system go, the body goes limp. I mean, you think of a head, you know, when somebody dies, if they're sitting up or whatever, their head all of a sudden slumps down. And you've got that idea, the golden bowl, if that's the skull or the the head, it's it's broken. It, it just quits working. The, the pitcher being shattered at the fountain, think of the heart which distributes blood, nutrition, and life throughout the body. The idea of the will will well or the will broken at the well or the cistern, you've got the idea of every other system in our body that they work together and they distribute everything that we need so that the body functions, whether you're talking digestive or you know, all the systems together. So Solomon here could be describing uh, you know, remember God now before all of a sudden one day everything stops. It, it all breaks and it it, it is uh, physically it's going to it, it's it's done. And so I, I kind of see that in that. And then you tie that into verse seven. Uh, you bury him. The dust returns to the earth as it was. And of course, the spirit returns to God to face eternity. That's a good point. Good point. I hadn't looked at it that way. That's a good point, though. I'm assuming the will at the well is the will that you turn to lower the the bucket down. Is that what it means? Yeah, to, to me, to me, that kind of makes sense as you look at it that way. Uh, but, but of course, you got the idea of it's controlling everything. You yeah. know, it's controlling the ability of the yeah. well to be useful. Anyway, um, it's, just, it's a thought, a theory. Yeah. Interesting. 
All right, let's see. Let's bring in another comment, and then we'll see if there's anything else we want to say about 7 and 8, and then we'll uh, size up the remainder of our time. Let's see. Uh, Truth and Reason sends us the following um, comment here. Well, that's Danielle's. Bring in Truth and Reason. There we go. When I was young, I was told by a teenage girl that I sang too loud. I clammed up for years. I got my confidence back, and a few years ago, a brother told me the same thing. This time I said, I know. <laughs> and that's not an uncommon. People are very vocal with their criticisms at times. And maybe they don't think they're intentionally trying to criticize you, but it, it yeah. Lack of patience can be very hurtful. And Brendan. to that point, I will say this. Um, song leading has a disproportionate effect on the service and so because of that song leaders get skewered the most um i you know i've been told the same thing now i was told by the av guys because they said hey we like it we don't have to turn the microphones up real loud um but yeah i mean it, it's you can really do a lot of damage by a flippant remark um and yeah. I, 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 I shouldn't have to say this, but <laughs> Philippians 4, 8 people, you know, is, is it edifying? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Does it actually, was there something that this person absolutely need to know that they absolutely need to know that is that something they can control, but some people, they can't control the volume of their voice. And honestly, I'd rather have a song layer be a little bit too loud than I can't hear him. So. And we're spoiled nowadays with uh, with the audio technology we've had now for, I don't know, 70, 80 years. You know, before it was all natural voice and places built to kind of amplify it. But, all right. Brian, any thoughts? You've just sat there quietly, too, for a bit. Uh, really, um, I've actually just, uh, my mind's been going like this. I've been thinking about all the different things we've been talking about here and uh, kind of thinking of some of my own experiences I think some of the most practical and important things we've said are uh, kind of revolve around this idea of how we criticize others and, and the very definite care we need to take in doing so, um, so that we're not discouraging this uh, contrast in age, um, you know, and, and why it's so valuable to pursue uh, godliness the younger you are. Just last night in one of our classes, we were talking about Joseph, and we were saying at 17 years old, he seems to already be a person pursuing godliness. You see a lot of that in the Bible. Teenagers, uh, Josiah, uh, Daniel, uh, lots of guys uh, that are are just really young and turn to God, and that the results of that are a life without a lot of regrets. And in fact, one of the things I was doing was I was listening to you guys and writing this out as thinking, oh, this would be a good sermon uh, to kind of say, you know, Ecclesiastes wants you to age, to reach old age with grace and the idea of not being bitter and not being a complainer and not being a fault finder and not being somebody who's jealous. Uh, and, and I think a lot of times there's a jealousy that we have that somebody else can do things I used to be able to do and I'm no longer able to do. And that, you know, part of this idea of remembering your, remembering your creator is the idea of saying, you know, what what's the end of this matter? You know, uh, sometimes this isn't this is crazy, but sometimes people reach the end of the race and they're so caught up in what they've lost that they become embittered and they actually don't finish the race faithful. It, I mean, it's crazy to me because you think, hey, if you're at the end, uh, this is where, when you stick it out. But I've seen several people that getting to the end, they're bitter, they're unhappy, they're resentful to God, to Christians, and they just kind of turn their back on it all. And it's unbelievable that you would run the whole race and at the end quit, but people do. And I have to believe that there's a little bit of what the writer here is saying of, you know what, you know, you get to the end, that last leg of the race is the hardest. Uh, yeah. That last leg of, leg of the race is going to be the the toughest. But if you're committed to doing it, you'll finish it. You'll do it. But it's the one where your muscles cramp the most, you could say. It's the one where you start, you know, you really get hurt the worst. Uh, one of the things I was thinking of in some of this language in verse 5, afraid of height and terrors. And when I was a, a young man, uh, just a teenager, one of the older men at church who at the time was in his 70s or 80s, um, we were in the foyer talking. A bunch of little boys ran by. And he, looked, and he made a comment to me. He says, you have no idea 
that, that when you get to my age, what just happened, those kids running by is one of the scariest things you have. Because I know if they bump me, I'll break my hip. I'll fall down. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, oh, you know, it had no impact on me. I didn't even think about it. And he says, it's terrifying because it's just right there that the ability to be injured so easily. And it really stuck in my mind that, you know, that's what age is about. It's about things that you're now afraid of that you were never afraid of. Breaking your hip, number one on that list for a lot of people, you know, getting falling over, tripping and falling, the thing that... Uh, we did half of our life with without grace and didn't worry about it. Now it becomes one of our greatest fears. Um, and that really is a profound thing to see. That's a good point. Very good. Good point. All right. Let's see. I appreciate that. Um, any. Okay. So what do you think? We've got nine. Was it nine through 14? Let's go ahead and read through this. I know we're only about six minutes away uh, from the end of the hour, or at least from the top of the hour. Um, real quick, I'll bring in two comments, and then let's go ahead and read the rest of the chapter, because it's not enough to try to hold over to next week. Do you think? Yeah. Um, so bringing in the comments here real quick, we and this is a very good point, truth and reason. This follows up our discussion about song leaders. Song leaders need to lead, not be led. And that's a valid point. If you're going to stand up there and lead the congregation, you need to be able to lead the congregation. Now, we can start a whole conversation about, do we really need to have a song leader? You know, Could someone start the song and sit down? Um, Rhonda said years ago, I think it was Rhonda, there was a congregation where a song leader would do that. They'd stand up, start the song, sit down, and sing with everybody. But that's a whole other discussion in and of itself. But if that's the role you're going to be, then you need to be leading the congregation that role. Uh, yeah, um, hey John, uh, uh -huh. real quick, I know you got one more comment. Uh, there are some other things that we could develop with this if we want to take it another week because of the importance of the verse. Uh, one of the things that I'm thinking about, I know mm -hmm. I preached on this two years ago, and you asked the question, what if I am older? What can I do? That, yeah. Yeah. You know. Is this one of those one verses took two years to cover? Or are you just talking about you, you covered it two years ago? I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we pick on top. I, I'm about to finish it up. No, no. You know what? I, I'm looking at my outline from this. I preached on Ecclesiastes. It was May 9th, 2021. So almost two years to the week. Uh, I wow. I was finishing up this, this study. And I still had two lessons after this on Ecclesiastes. So. Okay. All right, well, but I, that's that just first. a suggestion as opposed to. Yeah. Well, we could also put that into its own separate topical study, too. Yeah. If we wanted to you know, expand into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Gregor makes a very a valid point, too. So our discussion works both ways in regards to people being critical. Um, and it's harder on young people to receive criticism. You know, when we were younger, you know, criticism to a young married woman was very hard for her to take. Now you got a, a, an aged married woman, got 30 whatever years underneath the belt. <clears throat> That's your opinion, <laughs> you know, and go on. But Gregor says, as individuals, we need to know more. We need to be more robust in taking criticism, as well as those that offer it. Need to be in a loving manner. My falling away was my personal issue. And that's right. Gregor wasn't blaming someone for his departure, but it did attribute it. It was kind of a launching point. And we, it's a two-way accountability there. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. Okay. And there's a lot more we could talk about that. I think, let me verify something. I, I may have mentioned this last week, and my brain's not recalling it. Talking about getting older. I had made some changes last week to how Zoom worked to make it easier for me to switch back and forth. This morning, I forgot all that, thinking, why aren't these shortcuts working? Um, yeah. So that's all the piece of paper I wrote it down on. I think we have slated to go into, um, go into, do a topical study. Five tips for growing a local church is what I have set to follow this study. So maybe that's something that we could bring what Tom's talking about into as a discussion there. 
you know, pulling some things, you know, what can people do, even older people do? So you plan to do that then? Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and read then the rest of this. Uh, who's not read yet? Nick, Tom, Paul, did you didn't read either, did you? Okay. So let's go ahead and kind of break it up real simple. Start with Tom there. And let's go ahead and read verses 9, 10, and 11. Actually, read down through 12. And then we'll have Paul finish up the chapter there. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, it, and it reads, And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Making many books there is no end, and of study, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. All right, Paul. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Paul, what translation was that? ESV. Okay. All right. Makes sense. Okay. All right. So let's see. So a couple of things here, just real quick. And... It's interesting the development there in verse 9 about him pondering and, and seeking out, setting in order many Proverbs, but especially the, the building up process. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. What, what are your thoughts on that? That's an interesting phrase there. Brendan. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> truth, no matter the... Um, medium by which it comes from all comes from the same God and creator. Um, one of my nitpicky things is I don't particularly like the phrase God's truth. Because to me, it distinguishes that there's other truth. No, all truth. If it, if it corresponds to reality, it's God's truth. God is the author of all truth. And so if I get value from this book or this commentary or this Bible class or this discussion, and it, it corresponds to the, the wisdom of God's word. Yeah, I, I can use that to build my life with because it comes from the same shepherd who has given all wisdom and knowledge, um, who has given all truth. And, and, you know, the idea of a well-driven nail, you know, it's a nail that is placed where it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And it's secured in such a way that it's going to do its job for as long as it can. Okay. It's a good explanation. Yeah. Good explanation there. My son, be admonished by these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. It's an interesting one. <laughs> that That's yeah. an interesting one. You know, I, I mean, you're never going to learn it all. Um, and that's a powerful point to make in that particular statement there. Yeah. You're never going to learn everything. And it's it's what I would like to call a preacher's proverb. Yeah, exactly. you can just and, and anyone too much of a good thing can be bad. Exactly, the Bible's well, yeah. great, preaching's great, teaching the lost is great, except when we are neglecting other important things that God has given us. Uh, Homer Haley used to tell every young preacher that he came across in his later years, and I've gotten it secondhand from those preachers. Don't go, get so busy saving the world or studying that you lose your own family. Um, you know, Brother Halbrick had told Phil Martin one time that says, don't worry about meetings when you're young. Spend the time with your family. That that will come in due time. Spend the time on the important stuff. And just throwing this out here, because I've had to learn this lesson the hard way. Um, Preaching is very sedentary. And weariness of the bones you know, you're you're going to cut short your service to the Lord if you're not taking care of your physical health. Um, we're not here forever, but we want to be as much good use to the Lord as possible. And if we're cut short because of health problems, you know, preventable ones, 
uh, that's on us. And I really, I don't want to cut short my service to God because of things that kind of go into an early comment Tom made. Yeah. Because I made poor choices and sowed bad habits in my youth. And so now I'm reaping uh, ill health effects in my later years. So I think any future people who join us at Truth Factor, the new rule needs to be not under 40. You know, anyone not under 40 can't join us and give us lectures about being healthy and taking care of ourselves. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have a committee meeting when we get done with this one. Yeah. So. <laughs> You're not wrong, though, because it does creep up on you really, really fast. And um, if you choose to sit in your chair and, and now, you know, so you're, if you go back 40 years, sitting in the preacher's chair, quote unquote, meant maybe you had more books open and you actually were being more studious. But nowadays, if you sit in your chair in front of your computer, there's so many distractions, you know, it's not just about opening a book and studying and taking notes. There's a lot more distractions that hold you into that, that position. Um, JD Tant, Texas preacher, his story is kind of similar to what you're talking about. He spent a lot of time away traveling. And I believe there's an account where he missed a, one of his children passed away and he wasn't at home. If I remember what what's said about that. Um, it's good to want to save the world, but you've got a responsibility at home that doesn't take second place. I mean, it's, yeah. And from a practical standpoint, uh, if you're so, I mean, you have to do your study. You're not going to be able to do your, your, uh, public work and mm -hmm. private work. Uh, you're not going to be growing if you're not uh, spending time in the book, but, uh, you need to spend time with people so that you have those opportunities to teach and encourage uh, a preacher who, uh, well, a preacher who sits and studies all week is not going to be appreciated if he never spends any time uh, with the congregation and sharing those words of encouragement, sharing those words of teaching uh, out, uh, being involved in people's lives. It's just not, it just doesn't work. And, and to that point, Paul, going back earlier in Ecclesiastes, what has God given us to eat, drink, and be merry for the days that he has allotted us for this comes from God. And if we as preachers aren't out there actually living life and give, enjoying the gifts God has given us, our preaching also is going to become very dry and static uh, because we're not going to have the practical experiences or illustrations or everything to kind of, okay, do you need that for a good sermon? Not necessarily. Does it connect better with the audience so they can see truth illustrated in real life situations? Absolutely. Um, and to Paul's point, just being with the members and enjoying your brethren, because you're not you're not separate from the congregation that you labor in. You are amongst them. You're underneath the same eldership. You're sharing their burdens. They're sharing your burdens and vice versa. So be a part of them. Enjoy life. Enjoy the blessings that God has given us through in this life and through his his people. That's right. That's a good point. Good point. Yeah. And then lastly, and we have two comments from Mike I want to bring in, but let's go ahead and just remind ourselves again of the closing two verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matters. Paul read for this while ago. And this is a great conclusion to the very thoughts that Solomon shared. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is man's all. When everything is said and done, that's the conclusion of our life. Whether whether we've served the Lord 50 years or we've served the Lord one year and then we die. You know, it's still at that point. Um, let me think. There was... Um, so, Alex Ogden, in his commentary on Revelation, talks about the term overcome. And if I remember correctly, he makes a point that the term overcome, the way it's used, is not so much used in future tense, it's used about at that moment in service and the Lord, if I remember what he said correctly. And the idea there is the victory we have in Christ to overcome. Let him who hears what the Lord Spirit says to the churches, he who overcomes and so forth. It is the moment, the victory right now, and then the next moment will be victory at that moment. Same way here. Okay. We must keep in the commandments of the Lord because God will bring everything into judgment, whether secret or 
public, private, or good or evil, what have you. Yeah. Okay, uh, real quick, let me bring in then Michael's comments, switch back over. And then Michael said, um, he had to step away from the study for a bit, but wanted to add one more thought. If all of us older ones would purposely mentor at least one younger, example, Paul and Timothy, imagine the growth of the Lord's church and its workers. That's good. That's a good point. He goes on to say, as for the making of books having no wind, it is evident from your backgrounds that you all take that seriously. But um, the best fact is to use but one book as your spiritual guide. I rejoice in that fact. And that's fundamentally the basis for our lives as his children, following his book, his word. All right, gentlemen, we went over just a little bit, but we started a little bit late. It was Tom's fault, so we'll blame it on him today. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, but this puts us at about an hour mark. Um, any thoughts or comments before we close this up? You know, um, I just really think that those last two statements um, really need to be taken in the context of the whole book, that the book began as an experiment, try to find the meaning of life by ignoring spiritual things and just concentrating on what's in front of us, the world around us, whether it's pleasure, wealth, power, all, uh, you know, uh, all the different things we can have. Uh, Solomon has found that none of those things are successful. And one of the big points to each one of them is death. Uh, death ultimately brings all of these things to vanity. It makes everything that we pursue vanity. It makes everything meaningless. Nothing has a satisfaction of its own. Uh, he doesn't really touch spiritual things until these concluding remarks. Um, and, and, and really, these concluding remarks kind of begin at the last chapter, where towards the end of the last chapter, he begins this uh, conversation to, to a young person, so to speak, to say, you know, putting God first now is the only thing that actually really makes sense. That's the that's the wisest thing you can do. So as he comes to a conclusion here, he's he's hammering down this last point. I was reading some commentators who said that maybe some of the language about the well-driven nails and the goads, he's saying, look, you know, real wise words are the kind of thing that provoke you to doing it. And I was wondering about the nails, but he says maybe it's the idea of nailing uh, nailing yourself to these ideas, you know, and I thought, well, that's kind of interesting that, you know, so you don't drift away from it, that you're just, you're, you're anchoring yourself to these ideas. And the idea is this life isn't all that there is. And, and why that's important. Sometimes you'll hear secular scholars try to make the case that Ecclesiastes is a book written without a view of the afterlife. And of course, that's, that's completely the opposite. Uh, Ecclesiastes is written to say that if there is no afterlife, there is no meaning in life. Uh, that the that the concept of the afterlife, that the vanity of life necessitates an afterlife. Uh, the vanity of life, it, for life to have meaning, it must be the case that there is a God. And therefore, the whole of our existence is, is surrounding the idea, why do we exist? It's to fear God and keep his commandments. This is, this is what it's about. And the concept that we'll be accountable for this is is a profound summation. It's kind of neat because in the Old Testament, you don't have a lot of uh, judgment language. You don't, you know, we don't see a lot of conversations about heaven and hell. In fact, I, I, you might make the case you don't see any conversations about heaven and hell. But the idea of a resurrection is just very vague. The idea of, you know, something after this. Here is, here's the right of Ecclesiastes dropping this point that is, that's a New Testament principle. You're going to be held accountable for everything. Every uh, every work is going to be brought into judgment. Everything, even the secret things, are going to be brought up before God. Therefore, put God first. And I just think, again, the context of the book of Ecclesiastes, these last verses, particularly the last two verses, are truly, it's kind of a funny written experiment, you know, if it's a thesis, because he just drops two verses in at the end to say, well, here's the solution. It's not this life that matters. It's the next one live that way good explanation good explanation yeah appreciate that any other thoughts or comments okay a lot more we could say on it but we i think it's a good good time to pull it to a close um appreciate your interest in this study and i appreciate you guys studying through it with me um let's see so let's so next week couple of a couple of over the next couple of weeks we're going to talk about Five steps for growing a local church. We're going to look at five different ways religious leaders fail. I think that's a really a big one we need to try to really think about. Um, and that's not just preachers. It could be elders as well, but more denominationally, you kind of think of 
religious leaders, you know, some of the examples we could use. And we'll talk about five dangers facing our children today and other other topical subjects. And then after several weeks of that, we'll figure out our next book study and slide back into that. And if you've got any questions or comments for us, be sure to let us know. You can drop them in the comment or the chat area in respect to these respective uh, live streams or drop them on our Facebook page, uh, Truth Factor Live. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll look at that. I think you can drop a comment there. I have to go back and look and see. Maybe not. Um, and email us. Send all your questions or comments to questions at truthfactorlive.com, and we'll definitely love to hear from you. Let's see. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us for our study today. Uh, gentlemen, any final thoughts before we bring it to a close? All righty. We'll see everyone back here again next Thursday, 11 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time, as we look at the question or the list of five tips for growing a local church, a local congregation. Definitely some important things we need to consider, things to be reminded of. All righty. We'll see everyone next week. Y'all have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.